Let me add my words of welcome to all of you, especially if you've traveled a great distance to be here this evening. I know why some here present are here. Some of our seminarians are here to get brownie points. <laughs> Would you all stand, seminarians? We're here. There's one. Just you, Andy? <laughs> Presence noted. I was downstairs praying beforehand that whatever it was that the organizers had in mind that this presentation would accomplish, that it might indeed do so. So here goes. I was born a poor Catholic. <laughs> Actually, I was born a Catholic, baptized as an infant, and our family was poor, so it's pretty accurate. And you know, there was nothing extraordinary or out of the ordinary about my Catholic upbringing, baptized as an infant, received all the, the first sacraments, baptism, of course, and first confession, and first Holy Communion, and confirmation, attended CCD, CYO, Sunday Mass. We had family rosary, Lenten, Way of the Cross, we ate salmon patties on Fridays. <laughs> you know, those salmon patties made out of the salmon that's in the can that still has the bone in it. My mom would say, go ahead and eat it. It's, it, it it'll digest. <laughs> we went as a family to Sunday Mass. It was ordinary, nothing extraordinary about my Catholic upbringing. Basically until I got my driver's license, which was when I was able to get a part-time job and I stopped going to Mass. Um, my parents didn't know until the night of my ordination, <laughs> when there was, my family is about as numerous as the people gathered in this church, and one of my older sisters got up and they were having fun telling stories about the new priest, and she told. <laughs> how we would, you know, leave for mass and go to the Dairy Queen or the mall and have ice cream or hang out and then when we figured, okay, it must be over by now, we would drive home, stop by the, the church, pick up a bulletin. <laughs> I am not suggesting that any of you do this. I want to go on record for that. 
throw the bulletin on the table, say that the homily was boring, and they figured, oh, yeah, what else is new? And, and they didn't know until my sister, God rest her soul. No, I, I, I wanted to, but I did not do her in. You know, that decision wasn't really a, a decision. It was just something I stopped doing. It, it wasn't a decision to leave the church or to reject the faith that my parents had practiced themselves and, and sought to impart to us. My parents did as good a job as anybody else in imparting their faith to me. But, you know, you can't give what you don't have. And I don't say this in any way as a criticism of my parents, but what they shared with me, what they gave to me, was, was not an intentional faith, but a cultural one. My dad grew up in central Minnesota where everybody is Catholic, even the, you know, the, uh, the walleyes that they pull out of the... <laughs> and, and going to Mass and everything else, bingo, is just what Catholics do. You know, Ash Wednesday, you, you walk around with this smudge on your forehead, and on Fridays you eat those patties made out of the salmon with the bone still in the middle, you know, that... It was just what you did. There were rules and you kept the rules, things that you did do and did not do. I think when that combined with another set of circumstances, it was understandable. In fact, I, I would say it would be odd that I, I didn't take advantage of the opportunity to skip out at Mass and have a hot fudge Sunday down at the Dairy Queen. I was a cultural Catholic. Um, there were rules to follow, but you know, you know, don't you? I mean, it says 55 on the, on the speed limit sign. Now, I, I don't know what the rule is here down in Kansas that it was nine is fine. <laughs> The law says go, don't go over 55, but nine miles over 55, that's, that's okay, that's fine. And you might even go faster than that until you see something, and I hate those cars that have like ski racks or something on the top. <laughs> then you all of a sudden hit the brake and go down to 55. It was rule-based. And if you could get away with it, yay! Didn't go to Catholic school. Most of, I, I'm an Air Force brat, and so most of the bases we lived on, they, there were no Catholic schools, and where there were, I was born a poor Catholic child. We couldn't afford it. Went to CCD, which is okay. I'm not, you know, bad mouth in CCD, or whatever it's called here locally. Religious instruction, not in a Catholic school. But this was CCD 
right about, you know, 1965. None of you look old enough to remember the years right after the Second Vatican Council ended. But it was just a little crazy. Went to CCD and CYO and went all the way through high school. Went to CYO because my dad was the moderator and so he'd know if I wasn't there. And by the time I graduated from high school, I could make a great banner made out of burlap and felt. <laughs> I could sing harmony to this train is bound for glory. But I did not know that the Holy Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. I went to communion, and I'm sure that somebody along the way might have mentioned that that's what this is, but never connected. And I, I, I want to add real quickly here that my reference to post-conciliar craziness is not a comment or a criticism on the council, which I dearly love and thank God that it happened, but it was oftentimes poorly implemented during a time of great social upheaval all over the world. Not going to Sunday Mass was therefore a consequence of all of that, in addition to adolescent rebellion combined with ignorance of the faith. And then when I went away to college to the University of Nebraska, at which time, like with the name of Jesus, you bow your head. <laughs> During my freshman year, that same ignorance combined with an infatuation with things exotic. You know, it's like somebody who grew up eating nothing but white bread and somebody hands you pumpernickel. Whoa. <laughs> Led me to go and regularly chant in a Buddhist temple about twice a week. All I would say in response to one Saturday night board left my dorm room, went over to the student union, I don't know, to play pinball or go bowling or something. And there was, there were some people my age out in front of the union. Somebody said, hey, do you want to go to a Buddhist temple? Sure. <laughs> and that's all it took. Again, this was not a rejection of Jesus, not a rejection of the Catholic Church, not a rejection of what my parents taught me. It just didn't mean anything to me personally. I might add, nor did being a Buddhist, I had no greater knowledge of what I was saying or doing in that temple than I did when I went to Sunday Mass. At the end of my freshman year, the University of Nebraska, <laughs> the providence of God provided the perfect storm. After which what was former was gone, leaving newness. So 
the first part of the storm. At the end of the semester, before we would leave for the summer break, the leader of the Buddhist temple said that it was now time for me to make some kind of commitment, which prompted me to ask, am I a Buddhist? Or am I a Catholic? One of my jobs that summer, I had two jobs that summer, was washing dishes at the officers club at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. And the guy working on the other side of the line was a Baptist ministry student. I don't remember his name, but on the last day of work, and he had heard and see, seen things from me that summer that would, you know, curl his hair and make him pray exorcism prayers or something for me. But at the end of the, my last day of work, he handed me this little pocket-sized New Testament. Good news for modern men. Maybe some of you might have owned a copy of that translation. Handed it to me and suggested that I might want to read it sometime. Never once did he preach or condemn or you know, threaten me with hellfire, which would have been well-deserved if he had. And then, after that last day of work, I left, I think, even the next day to spend the rest of the summer in Guatemala, in Huehuetenango, Guatemala, with a group of other guys my age, all of us contemplating a call to be a Mary Knoll missionary. As odd as it may seem, as a high school senior not going to Mass, as a college freshman, freshman chanting in a Buddhist temple, I was also in regular contact with Mary Knoll about the possibility that I might be called to the priesthood. I felt called, although prior to meeting this Mary Knoll missionary who was like their vocation director, I'd never met a Mary Knoller, and I had never even really known a priest, you know, except for the guy that you see on Sunday up front dressed funny, and for all I knew, that's what he wore on Monday as well. <laughs> I didn't know a priest. No one suggested it to me. I knew precious little about Jesus and about his church and about ministry. In fact, I'll tell you, when I went home to tell my parents that I had made a decision to enter the seminary, my mother, who loves to call me idiot child, <laughs> said, really? I never really thought of you as a, as a religious kind of boy. Proved her wrong, didn't I? <laughs> well, during that month in Guatemala, 
with that group of guys my age. In addition to other activities, we attended daily mass and spent time in adoration of the Eucharist, which was to me before that a perfectly unknown devotion. As I said, I, I grew up on Air Force bases. And if the base did have a chapel, it was a chapel that served as a Jewish synagogue and a Protestant church and where the Catholics gathered for mass. And so there was no tabernacle. Didn't have a clue as to what a tabernacle was. Coming in and genuflecting, I never made the connection that it had something to do with what was in the tabernacle. I, I thought it was the way that my dad would indicate to us, here's the row we're going to sit in. <laughs> when we lived in Spain at a base, we had mass in the movie theater. We'd walk in, genuflect, go in. and My parents would leave us there afterwards for the Sunday matinee, which in those years was oftentimes a Annette Funicello <laughs> beach movie, which I then began to associate with Holy Mass. And <laughs> but I digress. The perfect storm. I read Indeed, I devoured that New Testament. Fascinated by Jesus, who he is, what he taught, what he did, what he asks of his followers. That, that little book became my constant companion in the back pocket of my jeans. Other guys my age, their jeans had the little round circle on the back. Mine had a square from my good news for modern man. I went back to celebrating Mass. I saw that all those things that attracted me to chanting in a Buddhist temple, candles and some kind of devotional object up front and kneeling and bowing and chanting and bong, 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 bells and smells and that all those things were also there in the Catholic Church and had some deeper meaning or at least one that I could understand. I felt mysteriously drawn to the tabernacle. Sitting in front of the tabernacle, not really knowing what to say or do. After that month in Guatemala, I, I returned to college at the University of Nebraska <laughs> and to church and to mass, and not just on Sunday, but also daily and even practiced a daily holy hour a personal prayer in front of Jesus in the Eucharist. I was in love, I am in love with Jesus. With Jesus and with his church and with prayer and with worship. Then the last part of the storm. 
At that point, I had self-identified as a Catholic. I choose me. I am a Catholic. I read the Gospels daily. I prayed daily. I went to daily Mass. But whenever I was asked to participate in or to contribute to the life of the parish, I refused. Even if I was asked to serve Mass. Shy, retiring. Towards the end of that semester back at the university, I approached the pastor of the student parish, who was also the diocesan vocation director, telling him, thinking that he is just going to do somersaults, telling him that I had an interest in the priesthood. To which he responded, and I quote, I would not take you if you were the last person on earth. <laughs> End quote. I was dead weight on the body of Christ, the church. My faith was me-centered, not thee-centered, at least not the other than God. I was satisfied, maybe, you know, felt a little self-righteous about the time that I spent at Mass or in prayer and going to confession, etc., etc. Well, his words to me, they shocked me, they angered me, but in the end, they made me see. They made me see the truth of what he said. And so I threw myself into the life of the parish. I, I, I didn't stop praying. I didn't stop going to, to daily mass. I didn't stop reading the, the gospel, but I completed it. <coughs> And the next year, I was in the seminary, and the rest is history. Prayerful, prayerful reading of the New Testament in the tradition of the, of the church, referred to as Lectio Divina. Holy reading, prayerful reading of the scriptures. Prayer before the Eucharist reserved in the tabernacle, whether exposed in a monstrance on the altar or behind the closed door of a tabernacle. Worship at Holy Mass and full conscious and active participation in the life of the church. These three things contributed First of all, and most importantly, as far as I'm concerned, to a personal relationship with Jesus. They led me to be an intentional Christian. An intentional Christian who 
consciously, decidedly says, I'm going to take my instructions for daily life from Jesus. I'm going to draw on the gospel to imitate Jesus, especially who he loved and how he loved. And I'm going to do my part to continue his mission in the Catholic Church, at least to try doing that, conscious of how miserably I fail at doing that. Ending each day, striking my breast, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. But committed to die trying. I think that whatever it is that leads us to who we are, an intentional Christian, but, you know, as, as many as there are here this evening, there are that many different faces of what it means to be a Christian. It's kind of like, I don't know if there's one here at St. Matthew's, but sometimes you see in, like in the gathering space of a church, this, this big poster, and when you look at it from a distance, it's the face of Jesus, and as you grow closer, it's the pictures of all the individuals or families that make up that parish. It's a beautiful image. And I think beautiful too because it shows that all you young ladies, you're Christians, followers of Jesus, but how you do that, I'm sure as, is, is as individual and personalized as you are individual persons. So this perfect storm that led me to be an intentional, a conscious Christian, committed to, to following Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, a yes to being his disciple, a yes to taking instructions from him, a yes that led me to the seminary, and, and a yes that I, I didn't always want to say yes. We've had more snow this winter here than in eight years in Wichita. But I'm not going to start saying no now. Take note, Andy, seminarian. I'm not going to start saying no now after saying yes to Jesus. All that makes us, goes into making us an intentional Christian, I think also contributes to what kind. Read the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four followers of Jesus, all four told a little different story, same story. It's like Pope Francis, same story, just told a little differently. might be worthy of reflection for each one of us. Well, what has led me to where I am today? And so what kind of Christian am I? What, what is the story that I tell, if with words or without, with actions? I don't think that my experience is 
unique or singular, it's rather quite common. Take, for example, St. Augustine. Now, I wasn't as naughty as St. Augustine was. <laughs> Already had the makings of a great saint when I was born a poor Catholic child. But what was it that turned St. Augustine, what moved him off of the naughty list onto the nice list? Sitting in the backyard, having a beer and a smoke, heard the kids in the next yard singing, take and read, take and read, and there happened to be a part, at least, of scripture, which he took up and read from one of St. Paul's writings. And the words, <clears throat> all that was old was washed away, and there was nothing left but new Augustine. Or you take, for example, St. Francis of Assisi, most decidedly on the naughty list, until during a war between Assisi and Perugia, the neighboring town, which makes great chocolate, by the way, <laughs> he was captured and imprisoned, and there in prison with him, so the story goes, was a man who was imprisoned because he had been caught translating the scriptures into Italian. Oh, my goodness. I'm not exactly sure what the crime is there, but it landed him in prison. I think it was the providence of God so that he would be there and could put into the hands of St. Francis the gospel. What was old was washed away and left something altogether new. On that trip to Guatemala, we all met in New Orleans. Not a real good place to have college-age guys <laughs> reconnoiter for a mission trip to Guatemala. I will say no more. <laughs> and my confessor cannot speak. <laughs> but in the Marion Old House, you know, I was looking for a, a, a book that I might take to read on the plane trip down, and a title caught my eye, Soldier of the Spirit. Hmm. Pulled it off, took it with me, read it and read it and read it, and I haven't stopped reading. I still have my first copy of that book on my shelf. Read it again every year. A biography of Charles de Foucault who was also on that naughty list. Raised a Catholic, but a naughty one, until he felt inspired to go and kneel in a confessional. And something that the priest said there washed away all that was old and left something new. And Charles de Foucault was 
His whole life was, I need to, to draw closer to Jesus. I need to imitate him more closely. I need for people to see no difference between me and Jesus. In fact, his particular story, he, he wanted to uh, start a new religious community, the little brothers of Jesus, who would not teach or preach, but simply live with the humility and charity of Jesus amidst the Muslims of Algeria in the hopes that that would lead them to inquire about Jesus. My experience is not unique or singular, quite common, available to all with the potential for the same results. So those things that contributed to, to my conversion, they've been part, they've been a focus of my priestly ministry and of my ministry as a bishop. Knowledge of Jesus and his Catholic Church. Trying to, to do the best job I can in preparing for a homily. Teaching in a high school for four years. Teaching uh, at the, the Newman Center of the University of Nebraska. Bow your head. Director of Religious Education for the Diocese of Lincoln. Employed, and I use carefully the word employed, at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. One of the Vatican offices, somebody once asked, soon to be St. John the 23rd, Holy Father, how many people work in the Vatican? And he thought for a moment, ma, mediamo, about half. I was on the half that worked and our office was all devoted it was like uh, quality control you know so here's the product of the Catholic Church its doctrine and its discipline like for example how we celebrate Holy Mass and you know bishops or priests or theologians they have a franchise. So let's say that you have a McDonald's franchise and you think that instead of golden brown french fries being all health conscious as you are, you're going to serve instead sweet potato fries. Until somebody comes from the central office, the franchisee office, and says, that's not our product. People come to McDonald's because they want golden brown french fries. As an aside, I put my life on, on the line for golden brown french fries. I lived in Rome at the time where the very first McDonald's was opened in the Piazza di Spagna. We were warned by the embassy, don't go. There are terrorist threats. The Italians thought this was awful, that you would have fast food. They don't do anything fast. <laughs> but I went to confession, and I went over there, and I had me a Big Mac and golden brown french fries. And if I was going to die, I was going to die with a smile on my face. <laughs> but I digress. So. 
They say people come here looking for golden brown french fries. So unless you want to lose your franchise, drop the sweet potato fries. And so we said, well, here's the doctrine and the discipline of the church. Here's the product of the Catholic Church. This is what a franchisee, a bishop, a priest, a theologian, whomever, this is what you are authorized to make available to others. If you're going to sell sweet potato fries, either you change or you lose your franchise, Catholic speaking. So this is a big part of my ministry, knowledge of Jesus and the teachings of his Catholic Church through study and reflection and discussion. I, I haven't taken up the practice yet again here, but when I was in Wichita, I always had a case, a big box of pocket-sized New Testaments that I would pass out. Usually took it with me into the confessional. You went to confession to me, you got a New Testament. And, don't be afraid to go to confession. I'm not going to say, and for your penance, read the New Testament. <laughs> Maybe read a little bit. but In the hopes that this would create the potential for the choice to love Jesus, to have a personal friendship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus expressed in daily personal prayer and at least a weekly celebration of Holy Mass on Sunday with the community that we identify with. As an aside, I, I think that all of us, especially priests and future priests, take a note, Andy, <laughs> that we need to do all that we can to make the Sunday celebration vibrant, attractive, nourishing by means of hospitality, making people feel warmly welcomed by hymns, music, powerful, powerful force. Somebody told me once, Napoleon said, you give me the music, I will deliver you the nation convinced that he could rouse up an army. We were in the seminary out in Maryland. We'd go down to Washington to this Irish pub. The food was good. That's all I went for. And, and the music. And, you know, I've got a little bit of Irish in me, but by the end of the evening, those evenings, I was ready to sign up with the IRA because that music was so powerful. The homily. Granted, not everybody gets up on a pulpit to preach. But even those who are in the congregation engage in the homily. Listen, is there at least something, one word, one thought, one idea that I can take away and chew over and that will nourish me? Even how we celebrate. All right, the, the priest has got the missal and you know, we're taught, at least I was taught in the seminary, that you, you do the red and you read the black. But all of us, 
if you come to Mass, and during Mass you're praying the Rosary, well, you're, unless you're really good, you can't do two things. At least guys can't. Ladies can micro, micro uh, what do they call it, multitask, you know. It's said that guys can't. So how we celebrate to, to come in, say the prayers, make the gestures, sing. I don't know how, how often I'm up here in the, the sanctuary at the altar or the chair, and you look out, we're singing the Gloria or Holy, Holy, or some song of praise, and you usually see, and apologies beforehand, guys, but <laughs> you know, not all the saints and angels can make me sing. <laughs> I want to go to the 6.30 Sunday morning Mass at Nativity Parish in Dubuque. Don't you dare sing. We can get out earlier. No. Start singing now. You read the book of Revelation, that's all they're doing up there is singing praise of God. You know, kneeling down, tossing off their crowns, singing holy, holy, holy. If you're not going to sing now, what are you going to do for all eternity up in heaven? <laughs> but the love of Jesus expressed not just in personal prayer and Sunday worship, but also in the witness of service, even of self-sacrifice. As a steward of God's gifts, in some form of apostolate or ministry. It's, it's why we were given existence and time and, and abilities and, and even jingle in our pocket. You know, it's a, it's a stewardship principle derived from sacred scripture that we do not own. It's not a single thing. You, you think about it. You name it, you can't claim it. You don't own it. It's just on loan. To be used for your benefit, surely. But also, just as importantly, to be shared for the benefit of others. Whether it be your treasure, or your time, or our talent, or even our very lives our very lives to be shared. Which is why I take every opportunity I can to share what I think is, is oftentimes a unknown or maybe close our ears so that we don't hear it, teaching of our, of our church. That God has a plan for each of us. God has a plan from all eternity, even before we were conceived in our mother's wombs. God has a plan that we should all go to heaven, that we should all be holy, which doesn't mean that you walk around with your hands folded, your head slightly tilted, holy water dripping off your nose as you sing, Kumbaya. 
No, it means imitating the humility and the charity of Jesus. People can, can rise to the heights of holiness without maybe doing much more than just kind of quick genuflection as they pass by, as they pass by the church on their way to humbly serve somebody, inspired by love, not because they're going to get anything out of it or because they're going to give, um, they owe something to the other. And God is calling us to take part in the mission of the church. And all of this as a dedicated single person, or as a religious sister or brother or priest, or as a married person, husband, wife, God willing, mother, father, or as a permanent deacon, or a priest in the Archdiocese of Dubuque. Take a bow, Andy. Okay. How significant is that? It's very significant. How are you going to know? How am I supposed to participate in the mission of the church? What is my path to holiness? How am I going to get to heaven? For those of you who are married, your mission field, your path to holiness is probably sitting next to you. For religious, be those that they're in community with or those that they serve in a, in a parish or a hospital or in a school or in a prison or wherever. For priests in the Archdiocese of Dubuque, it's, it's wherever they're saintly bishop would send them to serve the people of God. It's important. It's important. How will we know? How will we know if we don't know what God's plan is and we don't say, yes, Jesus, and continue saying yes? So I'll, I'll be in the back to talk with any young man who uh, God is calling to the priesthood. Right back there. <laughs> Ongoing faith formation, personal daily prayer, public Sunday worship, witness in service, self-sacrifice for the benefit of the mission of the church, for the benefit of others. This is who I am and what I do because of what the Lord in his goodness did to me in that perfect storm. So I hope this lets you know a little more about me. And I hope it inspires you to, to think, how much further do I need to go? in order to, to in truth say, yes, I, I choose, I say yes to Jesus. He is my friend. I take my, my marching orders from Jesus. It's, it's who I am.
It leads to what I do, which is not going to make us weird. You know, like that person that we might see coming and so we quickly walk across the road and walk down the other side of the street, not wanting to, to contact that person. It's like a friend of mine when we were in Rome, he was studying canon law. He's a little nuts. <laughs> He's the vicar general now of the Diocese of Lincoln and he would hold the code of canon law in his hands and he would go up and down the, the hallways and knock on the doors and say, have you heard the word of the code today? That's the person you'd want to cross the street and walk on the other side. But, but being a friend of Jesus and taking our, our instructions from Jesus and imitating Jesus, continuing the mission of Jesus, isn't going to make us weird. On the contrary, I believe that it will make us so serene, so peaceful, so joy-filled, so willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others, the people will be drawn and maybe ask the question, how do I get what you have? May it be so. Please join me. You can stand and my fellow male human beings, please don't cross your arms and refuse to sing Holy God, praise Thy name, Lord of the Applause for Archbishop Jacobs. <laughs>